Now, today, there's a special treat for you because we're continuing our series called God, What Should I Do Next? And last week, we talked about how God uses the Bible as this foundational way that we can gain His wisdom on our decisions because our decisions either lead to reward or to regret. And if we knew what God knew and we could see what God sees, then we would make better decisions. And so the Bible is this enormous part of this foundational part of how God wants to gain his wisdom on that. But today, you're going to hear from Ken Gilming, who's one of the future elders of our church. He's in the elder track at Renewal. And he's going to talk about finding and following godly counsel. Isn't it so important that when you get different or conflicting advice, you find the right person with the right kind of life to listen to, someone you can emulate, someone you say, if my life ended up like them, I know I would be blessed. Well, Ken is one of those people for me. He's one of the people I turn to when I'm seeking godly counsel because I trust him as a godly person. And I want you to listen to him today because if every person in our church ended up like Ken Gilming, we would be blessed. And I know that God is going to work in your life as a result of what Ken is saying. So we'll do that in just a second. First, I want you to take a look at this short video that's going to set up the message, and then you'll hear from Ken. Yeah, if everybody was like me, we would be major messed up, all right? So, <laughs> so it's, it's good to be here this morning and talking and pitching for Jared. And he's a great teacher, amen? And uh, we're, we miss him, and so it's quite a thing for me to jump in his, his uh, shoes here this, this morning. We're going to talk about how to get godly counsel. Now, the worst, the worst advice I ever got was from a broker. Uh, I was trading futures, a highly risky investment. I don't know if you know anything about futures or options on futures, but pretty, pretty risky, and I'm somewhat of a risk taker. I built a 450-foot zip line one time, and I was the first human being down it. So that'll build your adrenaline. You know? So that's kind of where uh, my wife said I could trade futures uh, if I didn't jump out of airplane. So I picked the second one that was not, not quite that risky. So, uh, but the commissions are high on that because it's a risky kind of a thing. I think you have to, each turn's like $50, so you have to make $100 just to break even on these trades. And so um, I'd had some success in soybeans and sugar, but uh, maybe one of the more volatile sections was silver. And this broker, he makes his money by turning these commissions, you know, and so he's been pushing me to buy silver, and so I come in one day, I look at the charts, and sure enough, it come down to the support, bounced, and you know, there's several hundred dollars to be made in just a day or so there, and so I said, okay, kind of reluctantly, but I'm in, so it came down to my price target, filled me, and guess what? I mean, it plummeted, it fell like a rock. And uh, in less than five minutes before we could get out, I had lost $2,000. Wow. 
my palms are sweaty. I had a full sweat on my face. I don't know if the doctors that are in the crowd, you guys know that's probably some kind of major adrenaline pump or something like that. But that's not really, that's not the worst advice. I mean, you'd say, well, that, that was terrible advice. Well, that's business. I mean, you know, try to invest in China a week before Trump does an embargo or a, a, a trade war, a, you know, a tariff on China. I mean, you lost billions if you did that. So, I mean, I get that. That's just business. And you can all make bad choices or give bad advice in business. But here's the worst advice. You thought that was the worst advice. Here's the worst advice. He says, I mean, no sooner had we filled this and I was down two, two grand. And he says, Ken, whatever you do, do not tell your wife about this. <laughs> okay, so this is a stockbroker who is not the greatest because, I mean, he just, I mean, his, his stock is going down for me. And now he is giving me marital advice. So I said, Bill, I'm sorry. Um, I tell my wife everything. I don't withhold anything from her. Uh, that's just the way our marriage is, very transparent. And for the next five minutes, he tried to talk me out of it. It wasn't going to work. But I'm telling you, the whole day was pretty heavy, trying to figure out how I was going to break this. And so at, at dinner that night, we always went around the table. This was before the internet and cable TV and everything like that. We only had three stations. And uh, so we were sitting there at the table, and we'd always say, what was the good thing and the bad thing that happened to you? How many of you were raised like that? It's kind of like, okay, so you're here with us. So, uh, so it gets around, and, and when it comes to me, I just say it. I just say, uh, I bought some futures in silver, and I lost $2,000 in five minutes. And I guess Shirley could kind of see my face and how trash they were. Do you remember this, Heather? You don't remember this, okay. Um, and, and she said, I bet you feel bad. I bet you won't do that again. <laughs> That's all she said. And that was the moment that I knew I am going to be married to this woman for the rest of my life. Well, I bet you've had some bad advice as well. And I bet you have learned the importance of getting good advice in your life too. So that's what this is all about. And so here's how it's going to go today. I'm going to give you some sound biblical verses on the consequences of not listening to good godly advice. Uh, take out your notes. They're right there for you. And then, uh, secondly, I'm going to go over a biblical narrative and see how the concepts of this kind of flesh out. And then I'm going to give you some good takeaways to apply to your life today. Does that sound good? Okay, before we get started and, and talk about God, let's talk to Him, okay? God, you are the great advice giver. Uh, you've, never, you've never given us bad advice or poor direction. It's never been easy, and it is always with the impact of making our life count for something more than in making it comfortable. You have given us relationships and purpose and your son to teach us all things. We pray that this morning that we might listen to your word and that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We pray this, that Jesus would be magnified. In his name we pray, amen. So our first up, big verse on this is about strife. Uh, 
Proverbs 13.10, pride leads to comfort, those who take advice are wise. Pride leads to conflict, excuse me, those who take advice are wise. Let me just adjust this so I can see. Now, this is the epitome of an unteachable spirit, isn't it? People that never quite learn it, never, they always fall into these pitfalls, and their whole life is built by strife. Do you know a person who's prideful? I bet you can tell because they always have a rub, a rub with somebody. Their way is always better than everybody else's. The second one is frustration, Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Uh, have you ever worked for a company or had a boss who never had a plan? I mean, he shows up one day and decides, this is it. And you've got all your regular day's actions and activities that you've already planned. But all of a sudden, he, he's your boss and he runs everything. And he just, does, does that not build frustration in the whole corporation? Absolutely. And it causes everything to fail, too. Uh, Failure in Proverbs 14, 11, 14. Where there is no counsel, the people fail. But in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. And I like this one as well in, in uh, the New King James, Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool <laughs> is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Failure is marked by people that don't listen to good advice. I used to work for a, a guy that uh, thought that there was nobody in the room that had as good, as, as, as good a mind or knowledge as him. So he would take no advice from any, anybody. And because of that, there were major gaps throughout the uh, business. Enthusiasm was low and success went to failure just because of that. Um, you know, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend are faithful. Um, I think that that's an important part of this biblical narrative that says how important a good, godly advisor is in your life. And I want you to ask yourself when we talk about this second part of where do I get the next decision in my life, as I just want to say, are you, are you thinking this thought, who would I talk to about a problem in my life? And then I want you to see as we work through this narrative in just a minute, is that the right kind of person to have? And the last one is a shortened life. Wow, a shortened life because of, of lack of, of uh, good counsel. Proverbs 124 through 32. Because I have called and you refuse. This is the Lord speaking to the person who will not listen. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when, you, when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. 
and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Man, that's pretty graphic, isn't it? The person that fails to listen to counsel will live a shortened life. So, from here I want to go into a story in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe it's one you've heard, maybe it's not. If you're kind of new to the Bible, you maybe have never heard this story. But it's a story about Rehoboam. He's the fourth king of Israel. So let me kind of give you the backstory if you're kind of new to church. The very first king of Israel was Saul, S-A-U-L, not to be confused with Saul who turned to Paul, okay, but Saul, the Old Testament king, he was oh, tall, dark, and handsome, a head taller than everybody, looked like a king. Israel wanted a king. God said, why do you want a king? They'll just, they'll just put your sons into, into the army, into war, They'll bring taxes upon you. Um, it, they'll make your wives widows. Why do you want men to lead you? You have me to lead you. But they wouldn't listen. And so they said, hey, that looks like a king. So they got Saul. Story is it didn't work out very well, did it? Uh, he lacked character issues. And um, the second one was David. It was kind of like the other side of the street. This guy was not the tall, dark, and handsome. He's he's kind of red-cheeked. Uh, effervescent, happy, go lucky, uh, had the heart of God about him and did really good things, had some really major sins in his life. Maybe you know about how he uh, looked down off of his, his porch one day and saw Bathsheba, had an affair with her, had a baby and all this. He, he finally ends up uh, killing Uriah, her husband, uh, through um, pushing out uh, a battle and then retreating and leaving Uriah exposed. So in essence, he nearly just called for the murder of Uriah. And then he, he does eventually marry uh, Bathsheba. They have a son whose name is Solomon. He's not in line necessarily as the oldest child of David, but uh, Solomon rules as the third king. And he, he asked for wisdom. Do you remember that story in Proverbs? He wrote a lot of the Proverbs. And, and he, he said, you know, Lord, as, as opposed to wealth, give me wisdom. And he was called the wisest man in the world. But he, he left uh, toward that and married uh, 300 wives, 700 concubines. Wow, this guy is messed up, right? And uh, one of these sons, who's not again in the direct line or lineage of his firstborn, is Rehoboam, and that's his son. In the meantime, Solomon builds this temple for God, and uh, he builds his own house as well. And that's kind of where we, we pick up. So Rehoboam gets the, the, the kingship. He's going to be made the king. And, they, and the story is found in 1 Kings chapter 12. So if you have your own copy, you can look at that or it'll be up on the screen in just a minute. But this is what happens. Rehoboam takes terrible advice. And the kingdom splits. And the southern confederacy or the southern tribes are only two, and that's Judah and Benjamin, and the ten northern tribes. Uh, and this is kind of a key that unopens the way you understand the whole Old Testament. So I'm kind of teaching you just a little here. But those ten tribes go off into captivity um, in 722 or 705, and then uh, Judah goes off into captivity, I think, in 605. And so uh, they're split and... And you have these northern kings and, or kings of Israel and then kings of, of Judah. And so that's kind of how the stories in the Old Testament uh, plan at, uh, flesh out. So 
while we're reading this, and it's somewhat of an extended portion of Scripture, and I've cut a couple places out here to make it a little easier to, to still get the bulk of it. Uh, while we're reading this, I want you to focus on how Rehoboam fails in receiving godly counsel. And as we read, I'm going to, I'll stop a couple places and kind of fill in, give you kind of the backstory of this so that we can kind of uh, see how it all fits together. Uh, Rehoboam wrecked in one day what had taken three kings their lifetime to do. All because he refused to listen to godly wisdom. So here we go. Uh, 1 Kings 12, 1 through 13. And Rehoboam went to Shechem. Now let me just kind of say Shechem, okay? You've never heard that. It's kind of out in the middle of uh, Israel. Uh, Jerusalem really is the capital of Israel. But evidently Rehoboam didn't have the, the punch to start in Jerusalem. So everybody called for it to be in a neutral site. You can kind of see the stories building away from Rehoboam anyway, isn't it? And, and so... Uh, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. So it happened when Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, heard it, he was still in Egypt. Uh, Egypt is where everyone went for asylum when they were on the outs. And the reason is because he had fled from the presence of King Solomon and had been dwelling in Egypt. That they sent and called him. Then Jeroboam and the whole assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the burdensome servants of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. So he said unto them, depart for three days, then come back to me. And the people departed. Wow, sounds like he's trying to get some good advice here, doesn't it? But really, he's just placating them. And then it picks up in verse five, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who stood before his father Solomon while he still lived and said, and he said, how do you advise me to answer these people? And they spoke to him saying, if you'll be a servant to these people today and serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Now, check this. These advisors had been advisors to Solomon who had taxed them, taxed them enough for them to build the temple. And they probably should have been giving him advice to stay with the old plan, with the, the way the last administration ran. But you might not know this, but the cost of the temple was absolutely astronomical. I think the big dig cost $17 billion to put all those roads underneath Boston. The costing of the tabernacle, of the temple, excuse me, Solomon's temple, gold inlaid and everything like that. Check this, $140 billion in today's dollars. You know how big the building was? About 40 by 60. I mean, you got to really work to put that much in there without any sound or video or anything like that. No high-tech stuff. Wow, 140. They said that you could build a pyramid for 5 billion people. For $5 billion, excuse me. For 5 billion, and probably 5 billion people. So you could have easily built, uh, I'm sorry, you could have built five pyramids because a pyramid would cost about $30 billion to build. Okay, so if you want to build your own pyramid, you could probably put about $30 billion in and get your own pyramid. So you could build five pyramids for what he built the temple. Do you see how, how astro, do you, astronomical this would have been and how taxed and tapped out these people are? And they said, listen, Rehoboam, there's nothing there. Give it a break. This is the last administration. Well, 
but he, re he rejected the voice which the elders had given him. Not that the old guys always have the right uh, ideas. That's not always the thing. But they were experienced and had experienced the depth of a lot of things the younger guys hadn't. They consulted the young men who had grown up with him, who stood before him, and he said to them, what advice do you give? What should, the answer, what should we answer these people who have spoken uh, to me, saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? Um, the, when the young men had, who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, that's then the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, thus should you speak to these people who have spoken to you, saying, your father made your yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. Thus shall you say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. Woo, Mr. Big Shot, can you hear it? And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastened you with whips, but I will chasten you with scourges or scorpions is what one version says. Wow, the scribe who's writing this story is giving us a cue. And kind of lean into this. The friends of Rehoboam were telling him what he wanted to hear. Probably because they were going to be in the next administration. They were going to be the cabinet members. They were the one that's going to reap on all this. They had a very subjective reason to tell him exactly what he wanted to hear. So, and, and Rehoboam's not like 15 here. He's like 30 or 40 at least. Um, and, and these guys had his ear because that's what he was really wanting to hear. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day, uh, verse 12. And as the king had directed, saying, come back to me the third day. Then the king answered the people roughly and rejected the advice which the elders had given him. Uh, Move to, to verse 16. Now when all Israel saw the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now see to your own house, O David. In other words, we're out of here. You run your own life. We don't, have, we don't want to have any part with you. So Israel departed to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the children of Israel who dwelt in the cities of Judah. Then King Rehoboam sent uh, Adoram, who was in charge of the revenue, but all Israel stoned him with stones and he died. Did you get this? He called for the tax man. The IRS agent got stoned trying to get money out of these people. This is, this is a classic fail if there ever was one, right? And they killed him with stones. Therefore, King Rehoboam mounted his chariot in haste to flee to Jerusalem. Pick up in verse 21, 1 Kings 12, 21. And when Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled the house of Judah with the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin, these are the left-handed Benjamites. They were massively good warriors. They were, if you're a left-handed Jew right now, you might be from the lineage of Benjamin. You're a good warrior, okay? That's the, that's the kind of... And so, I mean, he pulls in the big guys. I mean, the ninja black ops kind of guys here, you know, 180,000. This is not a small force. We're going to take it to them. They want a civil war? Let's take it to them, he says. 180,000 men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel that he might restore the kingdom of Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of the Lord, the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all the house of Judah and Benjamin and the rest of the people, saying. Now, just kind of a pause here, too. Now he's going, he's identifying Rehoboam as the son of Solomon. 
He's not on his own. He's not like, I'm Rehoboam, king of Judah. It's like, oh, yeah, you're, oh, yeah, the son of Solomon. That's who you are, yeah. So he's identifying through his dad, showing that he's not powerful. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up to fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Let every man return to his house, for this thing is from me. Therefore, they obeyed the word of the Lord and turned back according to the word of the Lord. And this begins the demise of Israel. 722 B.C., the northern tribes taken into Babylon. 605 B.C., the southern tribes are taken into captivity. Uh, the kingdom that was so powerful that kings and queens from all over the known world would love to visit Israel. Gold was everywhere. And they said that in the apex of Solomon's reign, that silver was like stones on the, on the streets. It was so prevalent. It was almost worth nothing silver because it was so everywhere. The Queen of Sheba uh, came, and this is a, a quote if you've kind of been around Christianity a long time and heard about this. She said, the half has not been told about the, Salam, uh, the, the Solomon Temple. Um, when, they, when Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the temple 70 years later, um, and they start to dedicate it, the young men cry because the temple has been restored. And the old men cry because they had seen the glory of the first temple and looked at how, how sparse and how weak the second temple was. That's what happened as it began to this day when he wouldn't accept their advice. All because one man failed to listen to godly advice. So take out your notes and here's a, here's a couple takeaways from this story. First of all, fill this in. Don't seek, don't seek confirmation for what you already want. There's going to be plenty of people. Uh, some of your friends... Um, People that are, maybe you're the leader and they're under you. They're just going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, but try to find confirmation. Don't try to find confirmation for what you already want. There's a lot of people who have wrecked their life because just like Rehoboam, they've listened to people who only agree with them with what they want to hear. Uh, when it, these people don't come into your life like every day. I mean, when you find this per person, you realize, and some of you are going like, I know that person. I know who that person is. Uh, because they will tell you the truth, whether you want to hear it or not. Do you know what I'm saying by that person? Um, for me, when I was 16, I was in a youth ministry, and our youth pastor was Harold Brown. Uh, 16, I'm 64. I talked with him last, oh, probably last uh, March about an issue in my life. I have kept touch with him for 50 years. You know why? Because good, hard, experienced counsel is really hard to find. Am I right about that? And when you find it, you need to, you need to hold on to that. Look for people that don't always confirm what you want, but will say the right thing to you. Secondly, second is they listen to experienced people. Um, Ray Bohm didn't do that. These were young guys. But again, like, where do you find them? Well, this is where I, I want to help you find it. Um, where would you find a group of people or a person that really wanted to do what God wanted them to do? That'd be here at Renewal, wouldn't it? 
I just want to encourage you. Be part, be part of the church. Uh, get in the game. Uh, this is numero uno for where you get godly advice. Uh, you, can't, you can't meet up with people and change your life if all you do is just come sporadically. You gotta, you gotta be part of a CG. Um, our, our community group, it met Thursday. We had a great time. Um, everybody contributes something. Um, it was slow until Judas showed up and then the party started, you know? There's some people that just, when they walk in the room, the room starts, you know? It just, everything happens, you know? She's that. Then there are people that are somewhat quiet. I won't say their name. But they, when they say something, it's really important and it really, it really means a lot. Uh, then there are people that have somewhat of a biblical foundation uh, and they can contribute. Then there are some people with really godly advice. Our group is led by Mario and Clancy. They both have just great insight to the scripture. We're going through the gospel of John in RCG. Now, I just want to say this. We live in a cacophony of information, and most of it is not really godly. You can find on television, I mean, every show, somebody's doing that. You can watch sitcoms where you, the show is built around a counselor. And basically, a lot of them is, do what's best for you. That might not always be the best thing. Your heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Am I right about that? You can absolutely fool yourself into doing the absolute worst for yourself. Jared talked about that. When you move away from the word of God. And so what I want you to, what, this is my big point for this, really. Be a part of our church. Be a member. Get baptized if you're not Baptist, baptized. Uh, be part of what it takes. Uh, work in the church. When you work in the church, you know people, right? Go to community groups. When you go to community groups, you know the people that are in the community groups. And you begin to find those people that are experienced and have great godly advice. You know, there's an old adage that says, your life will be different in 10 years by the friends you make and the books you read. That's really true. Uh, you should join this church. You know, you don't, you don't get to choose your family. You are stuck with them, right? But you do get to choose your friends. And I think you should want to be here because the people want you to succeed in life. Um, it's good to come to newcomers, be part of all that. But man, there's nothing like saying, I am in on this team. Uh, the third one is listen uh, and act with humility. Rehoboam was proud. He was unteachable. He thought he was better than his daddy Solomon. But history proved quite otherwise. Notice how he was referred to as Solomon's son. Are you humble? Are you, do you have a teachable spirit? There's actually two kinds of people in the world. Uh, those with rights and those with duty. The people that demand their way. They aren't listening for people to help them. They have their ideas of how they want to run. And then those people with duty that say, you know, I want to help others. How, how can I help you? Those are the people that are willing to receive feedback in their life. Fourthly, seek out objective advice. Try to get as objective and godly advice as possible. You know, you might be dating. You might be wanting to be married. Um, where do you get your marriage advice? Is it from somebody that's been divorced three times or a friend of yours that's sleeping around or something like that? Man, I hope not. 
be a part of a church like Renewal. Do you know it takes a lot of nerve for a church to talk about a biblical concept of sex like Jared did a couple weeks ago? I'm going like, kudos for you. I mean, how many churches in America would never touch that subject? You know what I'm saying? You know why? Because he wants biblical advice. And if you didn't see it, just look it up. We record those kind of messages, all right? Um, What will you live like? Will your life really be objectively changed because of the godly counsel that you have? To do this, it takes about 40 days to kind of change an objective or a sin in your life that somebody's called you out on. Uh, Take scripture references. Read read, uh, Psalms 119 like we did last week. Uh, Test things against the Bible. Those are always things. You know the one thing about this story that's really, it it stands out to me for what it didn't have? Rehoboam never said, I wonder what God wants me to do. Not once in any of the reading that we saw. It was all about him. It was never anything about God. Considering what God would have you to do. Pride was his downfall. It caused him to walk away from the objective advice that he had. You know, I, I get it. We live in Boston And this town is all about education, it's about money, and it takes a lot of it even to just live, but it should not be the main focus of our life. It's okay to have money and pursue advancement, absolutely, but it's kept within the bounds of what God can do through me when I'm doing those and getting to those places. So that's kind of where our notes are. Our memory verse this this, uh, morning is Proverbs 27, 6. Would you say it with me? I think it's on the screen. Yeah. Would you say this? I mean, it's pretty graphic, isn't it? Pretty cool, isn't it? Proverbs 27, 6. Say it with me. Faithful wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Enough said, isn't it? The Bible's pretty pointed on that. I think it'd be a great verse to um, commit to memory. The second thing I think I, you should take away is, what, what is God saying to you today? What's the big idea? Now, you know, I gave you four. I gave you some biblical ideas at the start on what people do to fail. And I realized that really the whole idea is how do I get God out of the council? But among those four, five points that I gave you, there's going to be one that you said, you know what? The Holy Spirit is saying to you, that's, that's where I'm missing it. I, I want you to write that down now and just say, this is, this is what's keeping me from accepting godly counsel in my life. And my third thing is I'm committing to ask and then fill in the blank for godly counsel this week. Um, Jared talked about that. We have an elders cohort, uh, and we're, we're working through. It's taken us almost a year, hasn't it, Mario, to work through that, and Adam, and Adam Pittman's in it, and, and Pastor Jared and I've grown to love these guys. I've shared my, my heart and my life with them. And, and you know what? As best you can, you need to find some place and somebody that you can ask the tough questions in your life. Not expecting them to give you the, the answers that, that you want, but objective, godly truth. And, and the last thing is, um, let me tell you this, that all the people in this room if they were all godly advisors, couldn't you give you as much godly advice as the Holy Spirit that's inside your life? If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this is where you really need to start.
Because the most remarkable thing happens when you get saved. Am I right about this? The Holy Spirit comes into your life and God begins speaking to you through his word and through the advice of other people. And if you don't start with that, you're really just trying to get one other self-help kind of idea out there. Start with Jesus Christ first in your life. And you say, well, how does that happen? Well, let me just kind of tell you this, that you're walking this way and the Bible word for it is repent. But you need to turn from yourself and your sin and turn to the finished work of Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross. Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, and became your sin sacrifice. The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a Bible word. You can know forgiveness of your sin and God can come into your life, even this morning, and save you. It's really the most radical thing that can happen to any human being where God comes into your life and you have fellowship with God through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice. That's where it all starts. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Uh, band, you guys want to come on up and get ready? Uh, as they're coming, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We don't always do this at Renewal, but uh, how many would say, Pastor Ken... Um, I've, I've got a decision, I've got a problem, I've got a situation, uh, I've got a relationship that I need advice on. Right now, would, would you pray for me? Would, if that's you, would you raise your hand and you say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me? Okay, thank you. Maybe there's someone here this morning who doesn't know Jesus Christ. I'd love, I'd love for you to pray this prayer, Lord. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve judgment. But right now, right now I step across the line and I believe. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He was buried and rose again. I believe he was God's son. And he came to this world and so loved me that whoever believes would have everlasting life. And right now I ask him into my heart and life. If you do that, the Bible says that you're saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right there, that's right out of Romans chapter 10. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, uh, after, after the service, just come up to me. I'd love to know that. Uh, reach out to Pastor Jared. Let me pray for those who have asked for prayer. Dear God, I come to you this morning and in all this world with so many people that need advice, they're not turning to you or godly wisdom from other objective believers. I pray this morning that you would lead people in this room to seek out godly advice. I pray this so that you can be made famous in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.